So we're continuing Growing in Grace. I wanted to show that video because I think it sets the tone. I'll admit, I went back and listened to some of my other messages, and I didn't realize I tend to talk a long time. So I'm going to try to keep this message shorter than my past messages, so hopefully I can do that. But this message today comes from a discussion that we had last week in our Sunday Bible study. For We're going through the book of Galatians, so a little plug for that. You guys should come join us. We had an amazing discussion that I could not get out of my head, and it just was weighing on me all week, not in a bad way. It was convicting me, but it was also encouraging me. It was challenging me, this discussion, and unfortunately for you guys, since I'm speaking today, you're going to have to feel the same conviction and challenge that I'm feeling uh, with it. But here was what the discussion was. As we're going through the book of Galatians, and it just so happens this is how God works. He aligns the messages, and here we're going on the study of growing in grace. In the book of Galatians, we're at chapter 4, and we're going through a John MacArthur study. And chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, is all about that we're no longer slaves to sin. That we're no longer slaves to this legalism. It's by the blood of Jesus that we're saved. But not only that, there's an amazing truth in Galatians 4, which is we are adopted. We are sons and daughters of God. Not only sons and daughters of God, we're co-heirs with Jesus. And as we started this discussion of the questions John MacArthur was giving us, I tend to be a cynic in my life and tend to always just for some reason, go to where we're not living up, we're not doing good enough. I don't know why I do that. It's just the way my brain tends to work. And we start discussing, and I just said, where is everybody? Because we're talking about, here we are, we're talking about this amazing truth of we're sons of God. We're literally co-heirs to Jesus and I was saying, where is everybody? And I didn't mean us in the room. There was four of us in the room. There tends to be normally four of us in the room on Sunday morning. I was talking about, you know, where's the rest of the body of Christ? Because there's more than four people in this room today. There's more than four people. But my, my thought process wasn't that people need to feel guilty not coming to our Bible study on Sunday morning. We know by, by grace it's not, you don't have to go to a Bible study in Galatians to check that off your list to get into heaven. My more comment was in the context of, here we are reading that we're sons of God, daughters of God, we're co-heirs. One of the ways we can experience this grace is through fellowship, but we don't tap into it. And I was like, Why? Why don't we live our lives with that context? I'm going to go to the second slide because I played this video. Because who did, what did you just see on that video? You saw all the names of Jesus, the power of Jesus, right? That's our Father. I'm going to say that again. That's our, that's our Father. That's our Father. But we don't live our lives... That way we tend to be so weak as humans, we tend to, be, tend to be so fickle in our hearts and our minds that we tend to concentrate on the things of this world and not on the things of Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, you know, I'm the great provider. He says, I'm the great comforter, all these things. How many of you have struggles in your life right now? Raise your hand. You have struggles in your life. How many of you have decisions to make in your life? 
You have decisions for your job. You have decisions for your school. You have things that are challenges. Our Father says, not only is He the King of kings, is He the creator of the universe. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to remind you this morning because I have to remind myself because we don't walk this way. I like to get emotional about this stuff because we should get emotional about this stuff. We should get excited about this stuff. He's the creator. He's the king of kings. So when you have the struggles in your life, guess what? Not only is he our father, he gives us these promises. He goes, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will be your strength. I will answer you. I will provide for you. I will give you peace. I will always love you. These promises that he gives us, but yet we struggle to get out of bed on a Sunday morning. And I'm just as guilty as you guys. There's so many times I go to that Galatians Bible study, I'm just like, oh, oh. I'm just like, I'm literally just like you. And the encouragement and challenge to me is, Luke, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because if you truly believe, because I believe, I've, I've committed my life to Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. If you truly believe that you have a relationship with the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, why is it then at work this week when you were doing your struggles, the first instance wasn't, God, help me? Why wasn't it that I was just going to him immediately? And that's this whole process of growing in grace. This whole series that we're talking about is the danger of when you talk about growing in grace is legalism, right? The danger is well, you have to come now to Galatians Bible study because if you don't come to Galatians Bible study, then you're not a good Christian. That's the danger. Instead, what it should be is growing in grace is basically seeking communion with God. Is going to where you heard me when I talked about John 17, 17. If you remember my sermon there, what I talked about was this growing in grace is the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ. And I talked about in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And what do we know is the word of God? In the beginning, John 1, 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what did we learn? We learned... Sanctify them by communion with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus is what I said. If you, if you want to grow in grace, hang out with Jesus. The verse I chose today is the same message. This is why I love the scriptures. It does not contradict itself. It is logically consistent. Every single verse is logically consistent. It does not contradict. It's the same message here. I shared this in Sunday school today. I think it's really powerful. I love the way God works because he uses things in our life that also point to his design and his character. In business, because you guys know I love business, I, I love this self-help stuff, I told the story of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. You guys know who the, those guys are? So two of the most successful business people of all time, two of the most richest business people of all time, richest people in the world. Uh, Bill Gates' father asked them and said, hey, write down separately on a piece of paper 
what the key to success, if you could say one key to success in business, what, you, what would you write down? And they both, not talking to each other, wrote down the exact same word. And they wrote down the word focus. They wrote down the word focus. And I have found, and I'm sure Pastor Tim could probably attest to this, that one of the absolute keys to doing stuff well in your life, in your business, is being committed and focused. And what I find in scriptures, what the Lord is telling us, is it's not about the list of do's and don'ts. It's about where's your focus. Because where your focus is, everything else in your life will flow down. First fix where you focus, first fix where your, are, your heart and your mind is on, everything else will take care of itself. The technicalities come and go, they change. And so what we're seeing here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is just like sanctifying them in your truth. Your word is truth, which basically means get in relationship with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, because that's what's going to ultimately trickle down to where you're loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not getting angry. You're putting away fornication, sexual immorality. Don't start trying to put away sexual immorality. Don't start trying to put away fornication. Don't start trying to decrease your anger. First, start getting in relationship with Jesus, because from that, everything will flow. This is saying the same thing. It says, that since then, you have been raised with Christ. Tom's probably going to kill me because I'm speaking so fast, and he has to translate. So I apologize, Tom, in the back. I love you. Yeah, focus. First, since you've been raised with Christ, meaning you have been saved, you're positionally right. There's nothing you need to do except submit your life to Christ, and you're saved. You're positionally right. But then what does he say? Set your heart on the things above. He also says, set your mind on the things above. You know, when you study successful people, successful athletes, successful entrepreneurs, people who actually survive in really um, crisis situations, they get lost in the wilderness, there's a common theme between all of those successful people that these books write about. It's their mindset. Their mindset. And I tell my employees all the time this. You've written a story on your life. And you're letting that story that you've written on your life define who you are. The story of what you can do. The story of how talented you are. The story of how much you can work. You've written a story on your life. You want to change your life? Rewrite that story. Rewrite that. Now I'm going to speak to, because I don't get to do this at work, I'm going to speak to us here because there's freedom here. You don't have to rewrite that story. Jesus has written that story on your life. Jesus has written the story for you. And that story is get in relationship with me. Set your focus on me. Set your heart on me. Set your mind on me. And from there, everything else will flow. And what we discussed today in our Bible study doing Galatians, because it's just so connected, is it so freeing because now I don't have to worry about the list of do's and don'ts. All those things flow because when I'm in love with Jesus and when I'm trying to follow him, all those things he does for me. I want to make sure you guys know that growth is not the focus. Growing in grace, growth is not the focus. 
because we can't grow. We can't grow ourselves. I put up here, our focus should not be on actions, our technique, our efforts, and the resolve to improve. But instead, it should be on the glory of Christ. Why do I say that? Because you'll never, never be able to self-help yourself to a place where you can claim holiness. You already have holiness. It's Christ and God that brings the holiness and grows you. It says, you know, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, it says, I planted, this is Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So the point I'm trying to drive home here is that if there's one thing I want you to take away from this growing in grace is that your desire should be communion with God and seeing Jesus lifted high. And if your desire is that, he will grow you and use the Spirit. We read today in Romans 8, you guys should go read this. He uses the Spirit to take care of all the rest. He uses the Spirit to give you the ability to overcome your temptations, if it's sexual immorality, to overcome your temptations and anger. He uses that. He grows you. You have to focus your heart on glory, or glorying and putting Christ first. That's what you have to do. And so the question, you know, that my title of my sermon is how to know if you're growing in grace. What does growing in grace look like? I want to give you guys four different, I call them categories, four different things in your life that I think if you put your focus on Christ, that these things will happen in your life. And then I want to challenge us with each point with a question so we can have some application as we walk out of here so we can continue running to Christ. These are the four different fruits I see from when you seek Christ first, when you put Christ as your center and as your focus, you set your minds on the things above and not on the things of this world. I think His grace produces trust in God. I think His grace will produce praise for God. I think you'll see your life start giving to God. And I think you'll see a desire to fellowship with God. So let's walk through these real quick. The first one is grace produces trust in God. The common example that is used here as I was kind of doing my research on this is Paul. And I don't know if you guys know with Paul, you know, he had a thorn in his side. And Paul basically begged and pleaded with Christ to take away that thorn from him. And Christ did not take away that pain. But what we see in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9 is where the story is found. We see that Christ says, my grace is sufficient for thee. That he, when you put Christ first, he will give you the strength, as you call it, the sustainability to be able to trust him even in pain and suffering. And so I you know, challenge us, and the question I have for us is, are you increasingly trusting God through the difficulties that come your way in your life? And are you trusting God for the direction of your life? Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. So, if, you, if Christ is your center, when the pains and the trials come, 
Is he the first place you're running? Because that's growing in grace. That's growing in grace. If he's the first place you're running. Second, grace produces praise for God. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 1-6 through says, Let us praise God for His glorious grace, for the free gift He gave us in His dear Son. You know, a challenge I was given one time when I was talking about worship, and sometimes it's awkward out there when you're singing songs. Um, and I was talking to some people in basically a praise band about it. And the challenge I had is the only reason it's awkward is because are you doing it any other time than Sunday morning? Meaning, when you think about your praise for, for God, and we come in every Sunday morning and we sing songs, when else are you singing those songs? I, I wrote down this, that the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. How many of those breaths are used to praise Him, to praise God? And as you put Christ as the focus, those things will start flowing in your life. That's, that's the sign that you're growing in grace. That's a fruit that you're growing in grace. Third is I believe grace will produce giving to God. This one's hard. You know, we see in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2, basically it was the grace of God on the churches of Macedonia that compelled these Christians to give joyfully and sacrificially to meet the needs of Christians in Jerusalem. So I'll read that for you. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming or overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So the point here is that when you put your focus on Christ, your giving should start coming out of you. Because your focus is not on the things of this world. They're not on, there's nothing wrong with materialistic things. There's nothing wrong with houses and cars and those things. But as we look and we put our focus on Christ, this is what Christ says in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if you remember, what does Colossians say? Set your heart on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. From there, everything else will flow. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Everybody should do this analysis. Print off your bank statement and go down and mark where you're spending your money. And then look at your calendar for last month and look where you're spending your time. And out of that, you see where your, your focus is. Now remember, don't hear me wrong. It's not to save you. It's to fulfill you, to give you a joyful life. One of the things I mentioned today in our Bible study is that the most amazing thing about Christianity is it's foolishness to those who don't believe, and I understand why. Because you have to lose your life to gain it. Like to sit there and tell somebody, hey, watch where you're spending your money. 
Watch where you're spending your time. That seems horrible. It seems like you're losing your life. You're losing your freedom. But I have found in my own life that the more I give, the more I let go of the things of this world, the more free I've become both in peace and I've had testimony in my own life. I'll share one with you guys. When I was tithing, I used to tithe on the net that I got, not the gross that I got. And I, feel, and I don't say this to brag at all, so I felt convicted to tithe on the gross. Because you know how they take taxes and everything like that? I tithed on the growth, and I was nervous to do it. This was years and years and years ago. And as soon as I did that, in two weeks, I got a raise. It was like an amazing, I share that because I want you guys to know God does work those ways. That is, I'm not preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Serving Christ is not about materialistic things on this earth. But I want you to know that when you give up the things of this world, you actually gain life. You gain life. 1 John 2.15, just to drive this point home, says, the Apostle John says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's driving home that the things of this world are not bad. We can go out to eat. We can have nice houses. We can have cars. As long as our true heart and focus is on Christ. And if he ever calls us to get rid of those things, we get rid of them. If we ever need to, they don't control us because our focus and fulfillment comes from Christ. And then last, God produces fellowship with God. Or sorry, grace produces fellowship with God. And the questions I have for us here are, are you hungering and thirsting for God? Are you spending time in his word and in prayer? Because if you're growing in grace and Christ is your focus, you know, it says this in Matthew 5, 6. This is part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. David had this intense hunger and thirst, writing, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's Psalm 63.1. To grow, to grow in Christ, we don't set out to grow. We set out to taste his goodness. We see this in 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3. Newborn, newborn infants long for the pure, or like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Matthew 26, 41 says this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So if your focus is Christ, it will produce in you a hunger and thirst for the word, which is truly a hunger and thirst for communion with Christ. That's what it will produce. I read this. Um, someone wrote an article on this whole idea of, of growing in grace, and they put this at the end they, of their article. They said, when all is said and done, our hope is not to be skilled at Bible reading, practiced a practiced prayer, faithful churchman, or visibly mature Christian but to be the one who understands and knows the Lord. What I love about that is that it's driving home this point that our goal at the end of our life is not to look like a perfect Christian. Our goal is to seek Christ and to be in communion with Christ, and hopefully He grows those things in us. But if we chase those things, we're chasing such a uh, worldly, legalistic 
life that you'll never fulfill. And I have found in my own life it leads you into depression because you feel like you can never live up to what the Bible wants you to be, and you're missing the whole point of grace. God's means of grace, and there are many good expressions, will serve to make us like Him, but only as our focus returns continually to Christ Himself, not our own Christ-likeness. It is in beholding the glory of the Lord that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. So if you missed what I'm saying there, what I'm saying is it's not in our ability to try to be Christ-like. In 2 Corinthians it's saying it's in beholding the glory of the Lord. It's in, it's in seeing His glory that we are being transformed into the same image of Him from one degree to another. And I'm going to wrap up with this about growing in grace. The great goal for us of forming habits of growing in grace, whether it's coming to Bible study and fellowshipping, prayer, daily devotions, our great hope is in knowing and enjoying Jesus. The final joy in any true Christian discipline, practice that you put in your life, is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that you know, that they know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the point of today's message is to remind us and encourage us if you're a Christian in this room today, you have access to the God of the universe. You have access to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He calls you his son. He has a plan and a future for you. And he has saved us through his son. We're saved. But if we want to live a fulfilled life, that's when we have to tap in to his promises for us by putting him as our focal point of our lives. And from there, everything else flows. From there, everything else flows of our over overcoming of temptation. And my challenge to us is this week in your work, in your relationships, walk around, try hard to walk around with the context that, hey, I know the guy who knows and put the stars in the universe. And if you truly believe that, man, would we not talk to him? Would we not want to fellowship with him? If he says to us the, the basic three ways to be in communion with God when you read the scriptures is reading his word, prayer, and fellowship with the saints. See, we tend to look at Christianity through religious terms, through, through a religion. But when you look at it through, I know the God of the universe. I know what that video is saying. I know a guy that knows every hair on my head, that knows every answer, that knows how to guide. That's my Jehovah Jireh. If you're having financial struggles, he can provide for you. If, if this is our context and our reality, then from there, we would be dying to get together every single day because it's a way we can experience him more. And we all have to challenge ourselves to get in communion with him so we can experience his true blessings. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.